Hi everyone, uh, welcome back to the Ice Tamer podcast. I'm here with a very old friend and colleague of mine. Not that he's old, he's an old <laughs> colleague. Um, Ian, you said it. <laughs> Ian Jindal, who is uh, Editor-in-Chief of Internet Retailing, and he's CEO of RetailX, the retail research business. Um, hi Ian. Hi Doug. So, uh, we were talking about artificial intelligence, which yes. is probably one of the most interesting subjects that's current, with all of the really big... Um, internet companies uh, investing very heavily in AI but back down here on earth if you're not Google um, how you might deploy AI in your business is uh, is quite a big deal mm. um, I talk to a lot of people who are interested in it but one of the issues is that uh, most of them don't really have any data that they could do any AI with um, I'm wondering if you've come across that sort of problem with the people you're talking to yeah, I think um, it used to be a joke that you weren't able to give a presentation without mentioning AI and machine learning, uh, even though it didn't seem anyone was really getting a grasp on it. Plus, I'm also old enough to remember when machine learning and AI just wasn't possible because you couldn't calculate anything, so it was very theoretical. So in a way, it snuck up on me um, that AI is, is so prevalent. I think there are two, two or three sizes. The first one is the... Uh, invisible nature of AI that's embedded in the services we take for granted. So even though you're doing nothing with AI, uh, the fact that your customer is using Siri in your store or uh, Alexa is differentiating between a child's voice nagging daddy can have a PlayStation versus you know the older teen swearing at the younger one and then you saying, oh, okay. Uh, so there's a whole use of AI um, plus, I think increasingly now we're seeing AI toolkits being made available on demand mm-hmm. that people are now just calling down. Absolutely. And so, in a way, AI has snuck into a world where you don't have to be a massive data owner, AIing your own stuff, to be able to play in the AI world. So it's, it's, it's really given us a new set of problems because those who get it are really accelerating their usage. And those who are trying to do it and build, if you like, the AI Plus, which says, we'll use all the standard tools, but I have to build my magic layer on top. They're having a whole pile of engineering and organisational problems to go with that as well. But it's, it seems to be um, truly the problem when you're starting from nowhere. Like a lot of people, they haven't, they, they, although they have a lot of availability of data, they haven't necessarily collected it. So it feels like a sort of a cart and a horse problem yeah that you need the data before you can run any AI, AI over it and you don't even know if it's necessarily tractable till you've got the data that's right but I think uh, what's opening this up is uh, an accidental benefit of many people moving their activities into the cloud and so when you're moving things to uh, maybe some Amazon services in the midst of the 473,000 options you can play with, one of them says, shall I turn on AI? Yeah. So it, it's, it's as if, uh, if you dump everything there and think about it later, you're on your way to doing it. Mm. So I think that's, that's been quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, think about. And secondly, the ability then, once in the cloud, to gather and aggregate sources that previously wouldn't 
have worked because of data conformance, mapping, you know, who owns the data, blah, blah, blah. Once it's in the cloud, you can twiddle a bit more. So, mm. again, I, I didn't see this coming, but the people I've seen using it tend to be those who chuck everything up and then have a fish around in a plane. Yeah, totally. And uh, there's an interesting um, sort of ecosystem thing because you do, because well, one of the things that happens when people look after their own data is they tend to email each other spreadsheets, which is like anytime you ever see anyone email a spreadsheet, you know there's a business opportunity, at least I do because that's my <laughs> business. Um, but also it's actually cheaper generally with data in the cloud to keep it there than it is to delete it, uh, which is a conversation I sometimes have with mm. perplexed customers where like Amazon S3, for instance, is so cheap that I say to write the software to work out what to delete is more expensive than just paying to keep everything forever, right? Because the data storage costs are so low. Um, yes, but that again is a cultural shift because you know, if you come from a generation of things you should tidy your bedroom, recycle everything and minimise clutter, yeah. there's a certain sort of... It just feels really wrong, doesn't it? ...inly retentive joy yeah. about deleting a few there, terabytes uh, and feeling you've done a good day's there, work. There really is. But you get that bizarre Moore's Law thing where you look at it and you just go, well, actually, the price is going to drop at such a rate, and I know the price is going to drop at that rate, that it really isn't worth me even looking at what to delete. Of course. <laughs> but also, that there's some data which, over time, becomes valuable that you honestly didn't know would be. So, for yes. example, when people started working on their mobile apps, uh, even though the app was capturing approximately the GPS location of when someone's looking things up, it's only two years later you think, well, was it the advertising on the escalator on the way up to the third floor that convinced right. them to buy that pair of shoes? And actually, you've got their location, you've got the time, you can and tell. It was never important until somebody said, right. oh, Absolutely. I've geolocated every screen in the store yeah. so I can map whether they saw it yeah. with whether they bought. So, so, I mean, again, that's not a major use case. I'm not saying that everyone should microencode every square metre of their no. store, but... Three years from now, I would be saying that as if I'd thought of it, because <laughs> yeah. if we could, we would. And so there's a really strong case there for online properties to just instrument the hell out of them and just basically track pretty much everything you possibly can on the ground that you might find something interesting later on. Yes, and again, a couple of years ago, we couldn't have said this because I remember giving a speech a couple of years ago to a, a data sciences group of people, and I was talking about dark data and anti-patterns in data, where sometimes the obsession of data collection blinded you to the 10% that was commercially relevant mm -hmm. for the 90% that was just interesting to store and catalogue. And I've sort of changed my view on that, provided you don't obsess about it too much. So if you've got, it's a bit like having a storage unit 15 miles outside of where you live that's cheap enough to forget. Yeah. But that every time you empty your house and dump things there, you don't pay any more. Yes. So I think that's the, the change has happened is the ability to work with unstructured data uh, to look for patterns outside of well-ordered data sets has opened up, let's, let's face it, basically the crap that you had before <laughs> has become so that you can pan through for gold. So, so it's, it's interesting because there's two parts to this. So one of them is big data in quotes, right, which is just having the data. And then the other bit is AI, which is one of the techniques for... Uh, identifying patterns within that data um, and certainly it's again something of a truism in this business that, that often people don't really need AI like a, a standard linear regression would often find 
what they're looking for. Do you think it is AI that's the secret source? Or is it just the fact that people have got the data and that there are now specialists whose job it is to look at it? I don't think it can be that. Otherwise, the last 30 years of everything from RDBMS experts up to data managers to algorithm monkeys to, you know, uh, inside wizards would already have solved it. So I think that the change here is that you don't have to say the rule before you send something off to the data. Yeah. And so we've had, I remember in the, must be 84, 87, something like that, you know, when... Um, relational databases came down from heaven, landed, and a whole generation of people were taught about ordered datas and fields and UIDs and common keys. And so we were taught about that. It was now, it's like, yeah, fine, whatever, but let's be a little bit more, yeah. you know, let's say forward. So I think there's, there's an industrial discipline that's changing. And I think you don't have to sit down and think, well, I know what my question is, therefore I'll structure my data. Now you think, oh, I've got shitloads of data. Oh, is that a question or is that an answer? And I think there's a, there's a rebalancing of the pre-packed answers, the generic, someone's already worked out and they'll tell you, which means you have to sort of step up a level to think about new sources, new correlations, and more importantly, what to do with it. So that's the sort of the uh, ubiquity of storage and processing power being an enabling technology in its own in its own right, really, isn't it? Yes, but I think if you've got domain expertise, as, as with, um, uh, I probably should mention, let's say one of the global big database system companies of whom there are probably three. Yes. Uh, and they have a massive install base in ERP in, in retail. So one of their major software cells uh, is their merchandising suite that covers everything from finding a piece of cotton in India to, you know, three months later it's in M&S in 50 different colours, etc. So that whole merchandising system is incredibly rule-based for compliance, data-intensive, uh, but also you've got hundreds of people just working their algorithms if it's up this percent, down this percent. Their AI-enabled thing on a Monday morning, instead of just running the macros and saying, here's your reporting pack, says, I know you're going to ask me, I've done the reporting pack. You're probably going to ask me these 200 different tests. I've run all of those. Here are the three that won. Here are four you could probably spend your day looking at, but everything else I've sorted out, and I'm running an A-B test on it, I will optimise it, and I'll tell you about it at five o'clock. Wow. I'm slightly paraphrasing, but yeah. it was one of those kind of Star Trek moments yeah. where you tap your chest and say, computer, yeah. <laughs> have, you, have you done my merchandising today? Computer. <laughs> so that's at major enterprise level. Yeah. Um, but my prediction is within 18 months, you'll be buying a $30 a month online that's selling platform that yeah. does that for you for your 500 yeah. products in a house, uh, you know, to your front room in Shoreditch. Because... The, these tech, the uh, the move to the cloud. Well, the, the most interesting part of it for me has been the um, the promotion from infrastructure to platform to service, where everything that once upon a time you would sell as a billion dollar ticket item is now being rented out, uh, which has democratised access to things that once upon a time yes could only have been accessible to the very largest corporations. Now anybody can use them. Absolutely, and it's had a couple two interesting, uh, I think unexpected points. So the first one is that now it's been democratised, uh, it's harder to differentiate. Yep. And now it's become democra- 
democratised, the savage hatred of consumers for people who don't meet what they think is utterly normal yes. is visceral. And so you have this odd thing where it's, it's easy than ever to start, but if you don't do the basics, you are really nowhere. Yeah. But once you're doing the basics, you have a little boost, hey, I'm, I'm trading, but then so what? And so I think what it's doing is it's, it's pushing the pressure onto product and not, not just customer service, but customer delight and experience. So if you've got a unique product, you'd better also sell it well. Otherwise, people will do without it. And if you've got an undifferentiated product, you have to be so awesome they would prefer to buy it from you than n other equivalent competitors. Absolutely. And you have the Red Queen's problem from Alice in Wonderland, where you have to run faster and faster and faster to, 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 to stand still. Right, that where where the, <laughs> the red queen problem, <laughs> that where um, that where where there is a, where uh, the technologies are easily accessible, so every every competitor can access them. Right, the quality of service improves um, across the board for everyone, but you, for you as a as a retailer or whoever, you you are constantly having to adopt those new technologies, but you aren't winning. You're just running so. to keep up, right? No, so we've said for at least fifteen years that. Uh, Technology is often the problem, but seldom the answer. And mm-hmm. um, I think retailers are finding this as well. And this is where AI is interesting, because the narrative has changed. So if you read uh, the business press, I don't know, three years ago, it would all be our best practice. Make yourself fit for business. You know, do your sort of commercial sit-ups, and somehow you can be like John Lewis slash Tesco in a mini-me way and be grateful. And now you're saying, look... I send a DHL. I use Amazon warehousing and fulfillment. Yeah. I have next day to more places than they have. I've done all of that. And so you can no longer spend your whole time aping what others do. It's all done. You've got to crack on and do your own thing. And so the optimist in me would say it's going to be a time of flowering of individuality and commerce and entrepreneurship. Uh, yeah, in fact, I'll stop there because the pessimist isn't saying, <laughs> the pessimist isn't saying <laughs> anything at all. But of course, there's a, there's a challenge, isn't there? Because 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 we generally work with the, the the suppliers, okay? For whom technology well is, is something of a problem in a way because because you want to be able to differentiate yourself, and the the faster the technology changes and the easier it is to access, in fact, that makes it harder to differentiate yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what it does is it pushes differentiation into more abstract levels to do with culture and marketing and strategy where once upon a time you could just be very good at what you did and that was sufficient yes. everyone is now is trivially good at what they do because the technology but delivers it's it. working out what you do so I'll, I'll give you an example three of my uh, well three companies I, I genuinely admire and think are doing good things but are very different but say the same thing so if you take Oracle IBM and Salesforce not, not your average small business. No. Nope. Uh, so Oracle has bought every massive multi-billion top-tier company you can think of, you know, from a Decker to whatever else, and they munge them together. IBM has built everything you can think of, bought everything else you can think of, and then Watsoned it to death. And then Salesforce has just bought probably the leader in um, e-commerce platforms on demand, Demandware, and suck that in to be one of its many clouds. It's called the Commerce Cloud. So these are tier one, tier two global businesses selling to global businesses who have problems that normal people don't understand. 
So one of them is called the Commerce Cloud. The other is called Commerce in the Cloud. And the third one is called Cloud Commerce. Right. And they've all gone out saying we're clouding up our commerce. And the proposition is pretty similar for most of them, which is yeah. you know, ease of onboarding, flexible, don't worry about the platform, da, da, da. and we integrate all of these incredible capabilities. They're pre-integrated, you don't have to. Mm. However, if you say that to somebody who's just arrived at a multinational 10 to 50 billion turnover company, <clears throat> to unpick why vanilla ice cream with bourbon bits is different to bourbon bits wrapped in vanilla ice cream it's actually quite a difficult ask we're making and so because everything does everything how do you differentiate between brilliant everythings so well, one of the things that, that we've we've that i've seen i guess is um is that you're talking about the big strategic sales sales right they, they kind of happen on the golf course people are they're so abstract, those con- the contracts you signed with those massive outfits. that's being slightly dismissive, Mr. Winter. It is, yes. I mean, there aren't many people, apart from those with very small hands and long ties, who would make uh, a just instant decision on the golf course. So what you'll often find is they've been through procurement committees, uh, requirements up to the nth degree, and you'll end up with three equally brilliant yet somehow different yes. I remember once uh, I came home and my wife who's a designer and isn't colour blind uh, like me had painted six one metre squares on the wall of subtly different but effectively equivalent whites and asked me which one I preferred they're all white to me I said that as in the doghouse for a week so I think there's a similar but different thing with once you reach a certain level of capability where you can theoretically do everything, what is the differentiator? So I'm just picking you up on it because I think if you're signing a contract that's going to tie your business in for 20 years, then maybe there's something over and above the basic so, competence. Well, the relationship. So, right, which is why it gets made on the golf course. And I would say... <laughs> Dr. Lyman was going to golf. <laughs> no, that's true. I would make the decision in the pub. But... Uh, if you turn it around, so I can remember, um, I heard a guy from GitHub, way before anyone ever used GitHub, right, well early on, you know, people were still using Perforce and all that other stuff, um, at QCon in 2010 or something like that, long ago now. Oh, um, last decade. Yes, I know, and, and he stood up and he was talking to, and he said to this massive crowd, and QCon is, it's populated by, um, big enterprises, right, and it's kind of like, you know, dev team leads and that kind of stuff, right, CTOs. Um, and he said, right, how many of you How many of you out here, how many of your organisations are using GitHub? And like maybe 10% of the hands went up. He said, no, you are all using GitHub. It's just 90% of you don't know, yeah. right? So I'm here to sell like enterprise plans and you should come and speak to me because you're already paying for my service and you just don't realise, right? Nice. And uh, brilliant pitch. Good selling, yeah. <laughs> very, very <laughs> impressed. Um, but th- that's one of the things that you see from really, really good Technologies is not that they're sold on the golf course to, at sea level, is that they're picked up by the practitioners who, you know, they need to solve a problem, they go and do the thing, yes, right? Yes, yes. And then what you find is you look around your organization and go, like, crap, everyone's using this thing, right? <laughs> no, so like, I think, you know, we've, we've wandered into a different thing. So, I, uh, all I've ever seen is well meaning, objective procurement. 
so you know maybe I just work with blue chip companies but they all try their best to procure well however where uh, procurement goes wrong seldom seems to be about the technology and the capabilities it's to do with change requests it's with the fact well you never told me you could ask that it's with the fact when I bought this five years ago I used to sell X now I sell B can you flex with me how do we disagree about things how do we go about skills transfer from your 400 people in uh, in Bulgaria to my 300 people in Croydon so one of the things I think is important is to look at the uh, the non-functional and the by relationship I don't mean we're bribing each other on a golf course I no. mean how do we live together yeah and I would I always counsel people to spend more time thinking about that on the basis that all functioning technology is equivalent so, so uh, my, my golf course <laughs> comment may have sounded more dismissive than I meant and <laughs> um, what I mean is that there's there's a core problem with technology selection which is that nobody really knows what they need until they've sort of half done it and it takes so long to get that far that yes. uh, it's already too late. Yeah, yeah. So I know I've been involved in procurement decisions for, for big products on both sides of the mm. uh, of the of the line, um, and uh, it, it's a terror. It's it's an impossible ask, which is why when as a CTO or something you look around your organisation and go, people are already using this successfully. You're like, my, totally my purchase decision has been made. Right? I know yeah. it. I know it works. I can see it happening. But also, you know, if you have an in-house expertise in crocheting. Then you'll start thinking, well, I was started by it. If I use X, Y, and Z, I was started by it. I think the challenge for CTOs is to work out where the balance between immediate effectiveness because I have the expertise mm. or I can solve that problem now with my current tools <clears throat> balances with is the business asking me the right question and should I be looking three years ahead where I wouldn't start from here? Yeah. And so there are some real issues. I think the other thing in uh, procurement, as you've gone on to it, is um, people are very reluctant to genuinely declare their invariates. And by this I mean, yeah. if you've got, you know, retail businesses are pretty well known. You've got CRM, customer data, marketing data. You've got product data. You've got your ERP around sourcing, and in the middle, you've got the order management orchestration <laughs> that moves stuff around. Yep. Job done, yep. as you think. However, when you turn up and you're saying, I want to procure this system, unless you tell the suppliers, I will die a thousand deaths before I touch the ERP because I'm out of here in two years to yep. get a job, so I want immediate results, so work around it. Even though we all know it's a yep. crock of crap. Um, or, I'm having a bit of a board spat with the CMO, CIO, whatever. So I've got to keep on their good side. So we love their systems. Let's yeah. work around them. God. If people were more open I about really, it. really wish, as a supplier, <laughs> people just told me this stuff. Yeah. Because okay, we end well, up we having, having to divine it. And, exactly. and in fact, you know, the probably primary skill in my role is, is the mind reading part. Where it's like, this yeah. person who is sat in front of me, how do I make this person happy? Right, yeah. because that's my job. Right, you know, you personally are my customer, um, and that's right, and, no, absolutely. Yeah. So, who are you responsible to? The customer is going to sign the check. Yeah. The business is going to benefit, or yep. the stakeholders, shareholders. But then, I think another of question, <laughs> which actually you uh, put to me last year, talking about dev, is uh, people often think that software dev is about an investment. 
versus a necessary step to get somewhere else. I remember you saying, look, you could do it two ways. If you're willing to throw it away, do it this way. And then if in the meantime you've made money, you can throw it away yeah. and carry on. And if you haven't made money, well, just as well you didn't do the gold-plated <laughs> delivery. So I thought that level of pragmatism around tell me the commercial objective now in a year and five years is really important for having that open conversation. But people don't 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 reason don't necessarily openly reason about those things, and they are the actual invariants of your projects normally. You know, yeah. what, what is the lifespan of this thing that we're building here? Um, and I often have to have those conversations. It's like, you know, like we meet a, a founder of a business who is in their 50s. I just say to them, look, you know, what's your succession plan? When are you planning on retiring? Because whatever I'm delivering, I presume you want me to deliver before yeah. you retire. So, <laughs> so like, is that why we're speaking? Yes. And just, 70, just tell me. 78 years old. There we go, You've yeah. got 28 years to <laughs> Just tell me. Yeah. No, but I think there's another link there. And you know, we've come back to the, the, the people uh, and cultural side of the business. I was doing work with um, you know, top 10 uh, retailers, either the nation's favourite or most hated depending on um, how the Daily Mail's feeling. Uh, their CTO was involved in a change programme. We were talking about the move from IT's infrastructure to ITIS technology digital as part of multi-child trading. And he's, he did a very interesting interview. He's saying, he said, look, the change journey I've been on personally is that the business cultures don't release anything to 115% perfect. He said, we also run a bank where people don't like agile <laughs> or they don't like, you know, you're part of our beta program yeah. when you come to God. So I've had to move from total brand quality and total 100% assurance to let's have a beta labs. Hey, let's break things. And he was trying to work out how to have a conversation with your board colleagues that's around, well, what do you mean by good enough? What do you mean by how long yeah. enough? You know, what's our marketing and brand position around the service we're offering? Because maybe we should say, hey, this is a laugh. Yeah. We're doing it for three months yeah. and then it's finished. Yeah. And he's saying that it was actually as hard as his personal uh, journey was, it was trying to change the board discussion to be less about I've built a thing, it'll be good. Yeah. I've built another thing, it'll be good, and I'll fill it yeah. with dresses and everything will be lovely. Yeah. Those things have changed, and I think the pressure is not only on the procuring CTO, uh, CIO, or the COO who's delivering the, the gubbins to do stuff. It's also on the CMO, chief customer officer, CEO, say, what are we actually trying to deliver, and what does success look like for our customers? So this is, I gave a, I gave a talk a few weeks ago about strategy, and I think this is... Um, this is an example of one of the problems we have. People who, who grew up really in a, the sort of days of sort of turnerism, right? The idea that, that your your purpose as a senior manager is to um, cut costs, to maximise margins, yeah. Um, and then you get to now and you find that all that stuff you learned, uh, you can throw it out the window because you can just go and buy that stuff off the shelf. So instead. Your job, all of a sudden, as the head of some large department, is you're supposed to be developing new products, coming up with exciting new ideas. Um, and suddenly you're competing with just some rando, you know, just some kid who can go and, you know, start a YouTube channel and deliver everything, you know, you've, you've your entire career. And some kid can go and do that stuff 
pretty quickly because mm. they just caught the, caught the drop on you. It must be spectacularly challenging. I'm very fortunate to be um, the guy who makes the shovels, so I just get to watch, the, watch this happen. Yes, well, I think the um, I think what has fundamentally shifted is the notion of what an investment is or what the asset is to be sweated. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you think about um, in the 70s, the first asset was having actual foods to put in your supermarket. So actually having stuff. Uh, then in the 80s, it was being able to buy property and be close to people. The 90s was given the glut of property are my operational capabilities and supplier screwing capabilities better than yours. Yep. In the noughties, there was a technology change, loyalty marketing, spamification. So we get to 2010, and everyone's brilliant at everything, and we start saying, well, actually, I'm not sure that quinoa has got an O-level in social justice, therefore, do I really want to eat it on my toasted ciabatta with... You know, but you can get <laughs> middle class the, the, the point is that the battleground shifted. Yes. And so uh, what what used to be your defensible competitive position has oh, changed. It always moves. It always but, moves. but secondly, I think the, the other thing that is about um, strategy is that if it's obvious and can be optimised, it's not strategy. Yeah. So strategy is, as you know, comes with the Greek for strategos, what the general does. What generals do, yes. And we also know that no plan survives contact with the enemy. And I think it was uh, Napoleon, but let's pretend it was anyway. Uh, he used to say, you know, I've got all these um, generals uh, reporting to me, and they're all brilliant, brave, willing to die for me. He said, but some of them have this thing called battle mind that says when all has gone to shit, they've lost both their arms and all their toes, they still, their mind rises above the yes. fray and they still achieve objectives and yeah. make sensible decisions in, in the right way. And I think this is what is missing, uh, is that too many people are doing optimised management mm-hmm. when the world is optimising around you yeah. So you have to now do leadership and a risk taking. It's easy to say, you know, sitting around the uh, the microphone. But I think fundamentally, what we're seeing with um, brands is it, it it takes chops to go out and manufacture something, put on a store, and say, "Do you want to buy my new vase, my this, my that?" You know, that takes chops. And in fact, you get to the the stage where. Um, uh, because there's this massive survivor bias in in all of this, that actually you just take take a massive punt, <laughs> and the ones that 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 succeed survive. Uh, Apple are a fantastic example of this, really, where they they bet the farm a bunch of time. Bet the farm is the wrong. It's really frustrating. It's totally the wrong term, <laughs> but that's become to mean that. Yeah. Right? They didn't bet the farm. Well, they, they did. They bet the pump. They, they, find the pump. <laughs> they definitely didn't buy the pump. They bet everything they had a couple of times, uh, all the money on iPhone and iPod and a couple of other products, and it worked. Right? Well, no. Again, let's not let's not get let's not drink the Kool Aid. iPhone was one of the bets they had running. They also did uh, Apple TV. Apple TV was a complete flop. Yeah. And they, and lost, so, they lost a lot of money on Apple yeah, TV. But now you look back and yeah. what genius. What genius. There you go. Yeah, Survivor-wise, they're still here. If the Apple TV had <laughs> sunk them, we'd be going, Apple, go on. What? But I, th- I think people are more forgettable now than they have been because there's more choice. Yeah. And so if you look at what the Survivor uh, bias is, um, I think it's like Shelley said, was it? No, it was... Um, 
Uh, it was Death of a Salesman. Arthur Miller said, you know, I have uh, engraved my name in a block of ice on a hot July day. <laughs> and so, you know, where, where's the survivor bias yeah. when, you know, we're all in July with our... Yeah. You know, chunks of ice yeah. out there. Well, you, you get a ridiculous thing where the marketplace has got gone so meta that even the companies themselves become very temporary. Of course, right? and so you know, we were talking about this earlier, and I think it's uh, it's a it's a big uh, issue. I think in the consumer world is to what extent is brand, which used to stand for quality, buy me, price premium, recognition, sales conversion, uh, to what extent is that sustainable? And insofar as it is, we're seeing the brands are ranking higher in customers' minds than the retailers are. Yeah. So we've just done um, a bit of research, uh, our internet retailing EU top 500. So we've looked through um, all of the websites in Europe we could find and narrowed it down to 11,500 things we call a trading website that have a minimum level of traffic. And last year, there were 303 billion consumer visits to those 11,500 websites. So we go count, count, actually dumped in the cloud, and the cloud counted for us. And uh, when it adds up all of the 303 billion consumer visits distributed across so 11,500. Like one a week per household in Europe or something like that? I have that no sort idea. Of don't don't, don't Diane Abbott me. <laughs> I think it's, it's 80 million pounds per policeman. Anyway, so it's 303 billion visits to 11,500 websites. 41% of all of that traffic went to two web properties. I can totally believe it. And which ones do you reckon? Uh, Amazon. And eBay. Wow. Okay, that would be for me. That right. Totally on my two, two top videos. So, if you're an optimist, it says, hey, that leaves 59% of all traffic. If you're a mathematician, between, you know, everything's a power law. Yes, between me <laughs> and my 11,497 other competitors. Yes. But when you take out the fact that Allegro.pl, which is a Polish language website that only delivers to Poland, mm -hmm. is the third highest traffic website in Europe. Wow. Then uh, there are also, you add in, there are 400 websites in Europe, ranging from Tesco, Gallery Lafayette, to Depop, where kids sell their fat dad's clothes as a vintage, you know, down to you know, tin toy soldier yeah. markets, etc. Uh, you're left with uh, under 50% of the traffic goes to retailers. And then when you look at the traffic on those retailers, the majority of the search terms are either a brand name and or the word cheap or sale. Right. So if you go to a standard department store, which may yeah. sell 1,500 brands, do you care whether it's department store A, B or C or after, are you after your no. you know, Adidas shoes yeah. or things? So what we're seeing is that the role of the retailer is reducing... Um, and, you know, the other statistic we, uh, we found was that there are only 20 retailers who operate in 10 or more countries. Which means that, that you know, if someone knocks on the door and says, excuse me, Latvia, do you need some Debenhams? They go, well, no, thank you very much. We've already got our own uh, department stores. We don't need yeah. you. Whereas we quite like the brands you sell. So yeah, let me just ring them and sell them. So we're seeing this incredible shift where the consumer is thinking about the brands that resonate with them in their lives yeah. rather than the mechanism 
by which they get them. So it's the re-intermediation that the internet always seems to create, ultimately, where um, the, 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 the channels that used to differentiate become completely vanilla because they are undifferentiated. And instead, uh, it's probably access to the content. You, you sort of see that happening with, um, with Netflix, as a good example, where the uh, content producers watched something like Netflix and went, oh, well, you know, they're not competition, they're a customer. And then Netflix went, no, we'll just hire some directors, make some Netflix originals, and they're nailing it. And So you could say that the talent uh, will out. Mm. You could also say that those who are adept at network programming will still have, you know, high-paid jobs being network programmers. They'll yeah. just move from one place to another. But I think, you know, the, the, there's a lesson here around early adoption. So, for example, if you wanted to have next day delivery, um, address to address, uh, for no money at all, and you were the first person to adopt Pass My Parcel, DHL, etc., you'd have a six-month advantage. Yeah, and that's all it is. But then once everyone's got it, they've got it. And we had this um, example uh, two years ago where a friend of mine was running a, a very major department store. And he worked for six months to introduce uh, Sunday delivery. So growing up in Wales in the 70s, Sundays were for the test card and rain. Mm -hmm. Whereas now you can get things delivered on a Sunday, apparently. So uh, the union said no, the technology provider said no, the internal staff said no, everyone said no. So he bashed his way through, got the whole thing built, high zone coders, got the system to work and introduced Sunday delivery. Yeah. And one of the key suppliers who said no rang a major competitor the week after launch and said, hey, do you see what they did? We can get you up and running in three weeks. Yep. And so this isn't to say that all software vendors are evil. Absolutely not. What I'm saying is that yeah. technology capability becomes universal and becomes more accessible. And so the question is, where's the differentiation? Yeah. And there are very few advantages to being the, uh, the early adopter of anything at all. There are virtually none. Far too many times. Um, and uh, well, that's good to go back to Apple. Unless you want to become CTO of the year. <laughs> <laughs> but that's worth very little. Um, and Apple are a great example of this, where, where you know, they haven't ever really invented anything, but they've been very, very good at spotting early on the, the really good stuff and, and doing a fantastic job of making it profitable, really. That, that's been there. Yes, but I don't think... If anyone woke up in the morning and thought Apple's making profit out of me, they sort of know it, they don't think about it. It's about the pleasure of using it, even if it's not perfect. Yeah. Um, you know, I can remember, you've got your I'm an Android user face on. Uh, but I can remember... Uh, it's you know, the same as the I am a Linux user yes, face. Years and years and years ago, where you were teasing me and saying you spend your whole time messing around with the settings you don't understand what you're doing. And by embracing that maybe I don't even need to do that task at all, <laughs> I save four hours a week. And so I think, you know, my daughter was asking me the other day about the first iPhone, which I had to admit I got when I was 40 uh, or older. But uh, it was such a sub-functional device. Mm -hmm. And it had one, one benefit only was that it would at last sync my contacts. And so I sacrificed phoning yeah. for the ability to know yeah. the, the number yeah. of the person I could no longer <laughs> ring. <laughs> so, oh. you know, but over time it's got better. So I think there's a case that says, if the, 
if the pleasure of having and owning you a Dulith toaster, yeah, I like yeah. it. it. Doesn't sound too you know nineteen fifties about it. Yeah. It can overcome quite a massive uh, functional deficit. And when you, and when we talk about how do you, how you differentiate yourself, there's really you've just defined it there though, haven't you? That in fact you aren't you don't participate in the Red Queen's race. Actually, you you try to deliver something that that other people aren't satisfying in a way that really is different. Yeah, and also identifying what the satisfaction is because. If, if satisfaction is simply doing something not that joyous, less horribly than someone else, or mm. faster than someone else, that's not really joy. No. So no. it's looking for that. That's the emotion, the, the emotional connection is, is the thing. But then right? we are in a nasty jargon moment where, you know, having gone for web usability, as in let's make the web work, uh, the functional side... Yeah, ever then we talk about experience. Now we're talking about experience design. Then we'll be talking about customer delight, which is beyond personalization, literally, you know, into their cortex. So I think you do have to be slightly careful when you're extrapolating, because again, a lot of the things that do delight have that sort of innocent surprise about them that our corporate strategizing didn't surface to begin with. 